This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Wait for, for, for a while now. I'm really happy that we, that we are able to do this um, again. Going back to my word, having small group training, stuff like this will be intense for the coaches, especially because we have a lot of players in small groups means a lot of sessions. But that's uh, we had enough time to rest, so that will be, we will be fine. It will be good fun for the boys. They can't wait as well. It will be passing. It will be turning. It will be no challenges allowed. So we will not do challenges, obviously, which is a big part of football, but will not happen in a period. Um, so, yeah, we will be, um, we were already creative and we will be creative. On the ball on BFM 89.9. That was Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp. He backs the Premier League's decision to resume training uh, as soon as possible. And in fact, they are back, as are we. Hello, good evening. It's on the ball in lockdown with me, Ross, and my very special guests. I've got Bob Holmes. Hello, Bob. Hi, everybody. Uh, Nicholas Anil is also here. Hi, Nick. Hello, Ross. And Craig Wilkie joins us with a new laptop. Better picture. Hello, Craig. <laughs> Not a new haircut as yet, though. Good evening, everyone. That joke works so well on radio. Uh, tweet <laughs> us at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. You may have seen the pictures in the press uh, throughout the week. Premier League players are returning to training in their very, very posh vehicles. And um, yeah, it's great news. Let's not get into what's happened so far. But I mean, the the guys voted on Monday last week to come back to uh, part training, which is great news, Craig Wilkie. Yeah, it is great news. It feels like we've been talking about this moment for quite a long time now in, in respect of the English Premier League. So it's great to see actually those those cars turning up at the training ground and seeing those players back out on the training field, albeit still with the, the very restrictive protocols that are in place right now as they begin the return to training. They're still doing very much individual sessions. I think there's there's some allowance for small group sessions that they're, they're able to do in this, this first phase of the resumption. But what, what was greatest for me was just to see the smiles on most of their faces as they came back. You could tell that these guys were thrilled to be back doing what they love to do, thrilled to get back out there and get on the pitch and play the game. And I think given what they've seen in Germany and elsewhere, I think going back with some confidence that they will actually be playing competitive football again in just a few weeks' time. So let's hope that everything stays on track and that indeed we do have some games to look forward to in in that sort of time frame. Well, officials in England are optimistic that the Premier League restarting in June three months after it was suspended. It is possible. Um, Bob, they, they've had mass testing. And on Tuesday, the news came out, Bob, six positive tests for coronavirus from three clubs. Uh, we, we know Watford, Burnley uh, are two of the, the, the clubs mentioned. Not good news, Bob Holmes. Uh, well, not for them. But overall, it wasn't too bad. I mean, uh, I think it was 784 tests or something, a huge number, and only half a dozen uh, tested positive. I mean, in this strange world, we, um, we actually regard that as a result. I mean, it's not for those guys. I'm not making light of this, but uh, there's an element of risk here. Um, there's an element of risk in going out the door. And I think if you're going to return to any semblance of normality, you have to be prepared to take a slight risk. 
and that's what the Premier League is doing. And the vast majority of players voted for this. The clubs voted unanimously. And uh, okay, understandably, you're going to get one or two who are concerned, like Watford. I don't blame Troy Deeney in particular because he sees three of his colleagues come down with it. He's got a, uh, a three-month-old kid who's already uh, experiencing breathing difficulties. So that's perfectly understandable, his reaction. But overall, it's positive. And I think we have to go with the vast majority. Nick, um, Troy Deeney was one of the, the most vocal ones. He, he, he said, listen, there's no way I'm going to put my, my kids at risk. He, he, he pointed it. He said it was like, I, can, I can't go and get a haircut, but I can get into a box with 19 blokes and contest the header. Um, is that a fair comment? Are, are, you, are you with the players who don't want to come back? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, Jurgen Klopp had also uh, alluded to the fact um, that uh, no player should be forced uh, against their will to come back uh, to training and in even a competitive action if they do not want to, because this is simply a health issue more than anything else. So we have to uh, put that above anything else. I know that you know uh, protocols have been put in place, uh, uh, strict uh, SOPs have been put in place, but ultimately uh, it is the players who are going to go out there and get the job done. And uh, in, in Troy Dini's case, you know, he has a young kid who's already got a uh, health problem. So he's absolutely vindicated in his comments. Um, and, you know, even for the rest of the Watford teams uh, and, and even uh, for any player for that matter, uh, they should not be forced uh, to uh, go out on the pitch and, and play. Um, and I think uh, that while most of the players are ready to come back to action. There are still a certain group. Uh, Troidini is not uh, the only one. Uh, Rudiger has uh, spoken uh, before this that he's still not comfortable. And I think one of the most vocal one has been also uh, Danny Rose, who's been uh, the most high-profile player who's still uh, against uh, coming back to play football. So, um, absolutely vindicated. So, I mean, it's been said that the Black, Asian, mixed ethnicity players are more at risk. And... Even N'Golo Kante, I was reading j- just yesterday, uh, Ch- Chelsea said um, he's not going to come back to training just yet. So there are reservations, Craig Wilkie. Um, it's going to be like that, right? And 50-50. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's quite 50-50, but I can understand the reservations that certain players have for sure. And in the case of Dini, for example, it's clear that it's not his own health that he's primarily concerned about, it's the health of others. I'm sure that's the case for most of the players who, who have reservations about the current situation. But I think part of the issue is, as we've discussed before, some of the confusing statements that are made by the authorities, some of the confusing rules that are being put in place. So he's absolutely right to ask the question, how come I'm not allowed to get a haircut, but I am allowed to go back and start training to play football? And to me, actually, the the question should almost be posed the other way around. You know, if I was running a hairdresser's, you know, why can I not be, have my business back operating if these guys are getting back to play football? You know, so there does seem to be this inconsistency in terms of how things are being, being dealt with. But on the other hand, if you think about it as a footballer, they're in a very, very fortunate position because they're going to go back to work in one of the most sanitized environments you could possibly imagine, given all the steps that are being taken. They have the luxury, and I think it is a relative luxury, to be able to say no. There's no real pressure being put on them by their clubs, as far as I can tell. And for these top-flight elite footballers, they're also in a financial position whereby 
they can take that stance and say, look, I'm not, I'm going to wait until I feel absolutely secure and absolutely confident. And we know that a lot of people returning to work don't have some of those luxuries. They're, they're going to be forced into it maybe earlier than, than they would wish to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how have the Bundesliga done it then? The German Bundesliga became the first major European league to restart after the coronavirus shutdown. It started up last week. Um, I've been looking at news bits all week, Bob. Uh, thankfully, no, no bad news uh, coming out of the Bundesliga restart last week. But I mean, the way they did it, it was five weeks from starting non-contact training to actually playing matches. Now, do you reckon the EPL are following that system? Well, they're going to try to, um, but I think it's worth mentioning here that the, uh, the Germans returned to the training ground when the um, epidemic was just about at its height in other countries, such as uh, the UK, Italy, and Spain. Um, and they were only doing uh, individual training, but it gave them a head start. And because Germany managed to get this thing under control a lot earlier than anybody else in Europe anyway, um, they were able to do that. And I think they're now reaping the rewards of that. The fact that they had that individual training, it wasn't great. As we've said on the show previously, they arrived in their kit, uh, they couldn't tackle, they just passed the ball at a distance and they uh, had to shower at home. So it was nothing like normal training, but at least it was a big improvement on what the rest of uh, the English and uh, Spanish and Italian players were experiencing. They were still locked up in their houses, yeah. couldn't get out apart from one hour a day or so. So the Germans are way ahead of the, of the game here and they deserve all the credit that's coming their way. They gradually stepped up the training and they managed to pull that off at the weekend with no apparent alarms. I mean, we don't know yet. It's a bit too early to tell but, uh, whether anybody contacted the disease or not, but it looked okay. I don't think it was a great spectacle, but that wasn't the point. They managed to pull it off and show the world that this behind closed doors, doors football can actually work. And that is all we expect right now. We're not going to get crowds for a long time. So what they did at the weekend, I didn't enjoy it. I'm not pretending it was anything like uh, proper football, but it was better than nothing. And I think that's what the EPL uh, is going for. Nothing, nothing great, but just to get the show back on the road somehow. Well, if the EPL are going to follow the, the German uh, blueprint five weeks from starting non-contact training and then actually start the Premier League up, it would mean either a 19th or 26th June potential restart in England. How they've done it, they've been really serious. Oh, literally a week leading up to kickoff, every single team was in quarantine in hotel. They literally went hotel, training ground, hotel, training ground in that entire week leading up to the restart. It's just typical German, isn't it, Nicholas Arnold? <laughs> yes, they are very efficient in, in that sense. But, but as, as uh, Bob mentioned, you know, uh, the matches went uh, you know, smoothly without any glitches. And I have to say, uh, it's just in terms of the action, even the players were so disciplined, you know, 
we didn't see much spitting going on even goal celebrations they were they were just celebrating um, with a social distance uh, as soon as they were substituted you know masks were immediately given to them substitutes bench uh, were all uh, one meter two meters apart so it was done in a very uh, uh, structured manner and uh, we could see uh, that uh, you know that the rewards was all games went out went on without a glitch and uh, it it also reflected in the numbers you know the german league had attracted close to 4 million uh, viewers just the past weekend that's almost double the normal uh, viewership uh, they've had and uh, against all odds uh, you know they chose to go ahead despite uh, the public opinion who were actually against the german league uh, taking place yeah. so uh, you know they've they've really done a great job uh, by by putting all these protocols into place and ultimately setting a precedent uh, for other leagues uh, to go ahead as well well we'll talk about the action later on in fact that there's a bundesliga game tonight and it's a good one uh, to to watch um it's they say for the premier league to complete the season craig uh, they've earmarked 40,000 privately conducted tests required so i understand the premier league have paid a company called pronetics 4 million quid they're going to conduct the test it's going to be about two tests a week for for players and staff um it seems a long way away us sitting here at home in our homes talking about it i know the bundesliga is on the way but for me the epl just seems a uh, uh, pie in the sky at the moment craig <laughs> maybe so um but i think it is getting a little bit closer and we should we can be grateful for that um you're right the point about the testing i think 4 million pounds if that's the the cost of it it's it's actually a pretty small sum to pay for the premier league and all those clubs in order to get football back on again and given some of the financial consequences potentially if if that weren't to happen i think nick made a great point you know that the germans knew that the eyes of the world were on them last weekend they knew that they were going to be setting a precedent for what would follow in the other big leagues in europe particularly in england but also in italy and spain as well and so i think we will see all of those leagues trying to mirror the approach that the germans have taken i think they will be as stringent in terms of the protocols that they put in place whether that comes to testing whether that comes to potentially quarantining teams prior to games all the sorts of stuff that was going on inside the stadium in order to try and keep keep the situation as safe as possible um and yeah i think we there's still a long way to go you're absolutely right about that and maybe some of the discussions in the premier league seem to be a bit more protracted than elsewhere but they are getting there slowly but surely they are getting there so on that basis i do have i do still have confidence that we'll be watching premier league football next month all right fingers crossed and all that we're going to our first break uh, we'll we'll wrap up with the news of the week for you when we return stay tuned was a try and he's always prepared to give it a go on the ball on bfm 89.9 deserved a goal that lovely return pass just wide on the ball on bfm 89.9 hey thanks for sticking with us on the ball in lockdown it's our penultimate friday show of this season Yeah, don't get sad, don't get sad. We'll still be around. Uh Craig Wilkie, Bob Holmes and Nicholas Arnell here. Uh Bob Hull City are the first championship club to demand that the season be voided. They have set up their reasoning in a letter emailed to the EFL chairman Rick Parry. Uh this uh this was this happened on well, supposed to reach him on Wednesday. Of, of course this came out after six positive tests came out. from the Premier League from 748 tests conducted but um there has been a small 
voice, but I've been hearing it. I've been reading it on, on social media as well. Uh, should the season be voided? Is there an argument for that, Bob Holmes? Well, there's an argument, um, but I, uh, I don't think it's a strong one. And uh, this is the first club out of 22 to uh, register any protest. So they're very much in the minority. They're in danger of uh, relegation themselves. And I think we go back to this point about it being selfish. Clubs are looking after themselves. And, uh, okay, they, they make a point. Uh, we accept that, as we said earlier about uh, Troy Deeney. Uh, you have the right not to play. No one's going to get sacked if, if you refuse to play. But the majority are in favor of going ahead. And as I said before, if you're going to get this show on the road, you've got to take a little bit of a risk. Otherwise, we'll never get anywhere, will we, with this? Um, I mean, it's not a case of uh, Premier League being special and having special treatment. It's just the football industry. It's the national sport. Why shouldn't it look after itself? And it's going through all the protocols. It's doing everything by the book. And I don't see any reason to complain so far. I think if, if they were going to say players were forced into playing or something like that, that would be a different story altogether. But no one is saying that. It's softly, softly. And probably that's why it's taken so long to get to this point. They're bending over backwards, not to upset everybody, anybody. Mm. They're trying to keep everybody on board. And they've managed to do that largely. You're never going to get everybody, every single person, every single club. But largely, they're on board. I mean, even the, the small rebellion about neutral grounds, uh, they made their point. And those clubs who rejected uh, neutral grounds have won their argument. They've gone back to having games on, on teams' own grounds now. But it's, it's moving along. Those teams are not saying they're not going to play at all. They're happy to play on their own grounds. So, yes, they're doing it steadily. Maybe we can criticize a little bit. It seems slow, but they have the luxury of time because... It's the summer, you know, it's, it's the off season. So they can encroach a little bit into the coming season because there won't be any preseason tours or anything like that. So, and they've already had a, a long break. So yeah, uh, steady as she goes, get it right. The most important thing is to get this thing right, like the Germans did. And although... Uh, the English Premier League is a little bit behind. They haven't made a, a catastrophic blunder yet. So let's hope they don't. And let's hope they get this show on the road in late June. Here, 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 indeed. Uh, the fact that Hull City are 21st in the championship and sold their two best players in January, uh, Jared Bowen <laughs> and uh, the other guy, I forget, uh, has nothing to do with the fact that they won the season voided. Uh, what are you implying, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> in, in other news, then, Nicholas Adil, Chelsea winger Callum Hudson-Odoi, um, 
He's been a silly boy. Uh, he, he broke curfew, got himself arrested. I understand that there was a rape claim in there. Um, anyway, he's returned to training on Tuesday. Then he missed training on Wednesday because I understand he's not well. But young players like like that, Callum Hudson Odoi, you, you, you're fit. You're, well, he actually he was one of the first to contract coronavirus. He actually recovered, but uh, still, he's being silly, right? Without a shadow of doubt, I, I just don't know what is it with uh, Premier League footballers and wanting to you know hire sex escorts, you know, and they're not being discreet about it whatsoever. And not to say that they are permitted to even uh, attempt uh, a thing like this, but you know, uh, it's just knowing that the fact you know you're such a high-profile footballer, knowing that you know you've just come into contention back into this Chelsea squad, you know, knowing the fact that you've just recovered from coronavirus, you know. Uh, all you should be doing is trying to uh, train and uh, keeping fit and, you know, just being in the good books of, of the club and, and just following the, the, the rules at this point. Um, and, you know, this is going to come back to haunt him. This is going to come back to bite him because things like this do not just disappear, you know. Uh, regardless of, of, of a past player's achievement, you know, you talk about Wayne Rooney, you talk about Ryan Giggs and all their achievement in Man United, you still look back at them and you still remember all these cases, you know, of them having affairs, you know. So this, this kind of thing is always a black mark um, in, a, in a player's profile. And with Callum hudson Odoi's case, it's, it's not gone away yet, you know. He has to attend court hearing in mid-June. And that's the scheduled date of when the Premier League is supposed to, to return. Yeah, that's so what's going to happen then when, when he comes back, you know, uh, he's going to be shuffling back and forth between court hearings and, and football pitch. And that's obviously going to be distracting to his uh, pledging career. So really, really bad move. I, I don't know if he's been speaking to Kyle Walker about this, uh, but you know, both of them have, have really failed big time. I think they have the same black book. I, I'm not saying anymore. <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi just signed a new five-year contract with Chelsea in September. So let's hope he, he cleans his act up. Uh, Man City's appeal against their two-year ban from European club competition. That is big, this one. Now, the case is due to start 8th of June at the Court of Arbitration of Sport, CAS. Um, it's probably going to be done via Zoom, as most meetings are these days. But this is a big one. Um, they were given the punishment by UEFA in, in February. They were found to have committed serious breaches of club licensing and financial fair play regula regulations. City have all this time, Craig Wilkie, strenuously denied it. Um, they're guilty, aren't they? <laughs> oh, talking about cleaning their act up, right? Um, the glove fits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know, this is this is one of those stories that we'd almost forgotten that this whole thing was uh, was rumbling on. Well, if the world, you know, sort of went into lockdown and everybody became so preoccupied with the virus and getting football back and. It's now we have to remember all these things that were happening prior to that and, and still have a way to go. Uh, it, looks, it looks to me as though it might still take a little bit of time for this to be resolved, which no doubt will suit City's case okay. They'll be quite happy for this to, to, to make its way meandering through the Court of Appeal and, and see how long it takes to reach a verdict. But one thing that I've, I've noticed in the last few months is that there does seem to be growing, let's say, concern in the dressing room about if the verdict were to be upheld. There definitely seems to be a bit of, you know, yeah, players yeah. Agi agitating for 
And I, I think if it were to be the case that the city were punished in the way that um, is being suggested, we could be looking at a, a big exodus of players, possibly Guardiola as well, not going to stick around for two or three years outside of the Champions League. And of course, then it's, it's the how long might it take to get back in if, if players start to leave and you, you miss out on the Champions League money for a couple of years? So it's, it's a huge, huge decision that's, um, that's going to be delivered very soon. Yeah, uh, Bob, quick word. Uh, this is big because this, this, um, de- the result of this depends on whether the fifth place team in the Premier League at the end of the season gets into the Champions League, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, City all along have been very bullish about this. And they've said, and they're quoted here as saying, that they will hire the 50 best lawyers in the world, and they will sue and sue and sue. Now, that didn't go down too well with UEFA, as you can imagine. But there's been a bit of a change in tone now. And as Craig said, it's probably coincided with one or two players suggesting that if the ban is two years, they might leave. But if it's only one year, they might stay. And I, there's even been talk of a settlement out of court. And I think this is significant. And I, I would bet now, not my house, but uh, maybe a small corner of it, that they'll settle out of court and it'll be one year. Because it's in nobody's interest to have a, a club like City, like a Monarch, outbanned for two years when they've got all those players. And to see an, a mass exodus, which is almost certainly what it would be if it's two years, would, would be also ridiculous and upset the balance and, and all that. So I think that one year will probably do the job. And it get, if they agree, it gets it over with quickly. We'll know where we stand. Sheffield United will know where they stand and all the rest of it, all the players. So it's, I think it's in everybody's interest to sort this out. City have got to take the rap. One year will probably do the job. Okay, brilliant stuff. We're going to leave it there. Uh, another short break. When we come back, we'll start previewing the football for you. Yeah! <laughs> That's next. What about that clearance off the line? How important did that turn out to be in the end? On the ball on BFM 89.9. It is a fine goal. Fine header, fine goal. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back on the ball in lockdown with me, Ross, as well as my very special guests, Nicholas Unnell, Bob Holmes and Craig Wilkie. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can um, follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. The second week of Bundesliga action uh, post-return. Uh, it sets to, well takes place this weekend. In fact, tonight is a unique Berlin derby. Now, Nicholas Arnold, let's start with you. If ever there was a game that needed fans in a football stadium, it is Hertha Berlin against <laughs> Union Berlin. I, I mean, these, just for the fans alone, it's worth watching the game, right? Yes, of course. You know, uh, a derby is is always an uh, anticipated affair. Um, and you know this this unique uh, derby, you know, right in 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 uh, in the center of uh, Germany uh, is is one like no other. And uh, you just look at the table, and they, you can't really separate them. You know, 
uh, Hertha Berlin is uh, just leading um, Union Berlin by one point, you know, and they can't really be separated in terms of a goal scored and considered as well. So nothing much uh, to choose on paper um, going into this match for both sides. Uh, but I think there are several individuals uh, that could make a difference, you know. For Union Berlin, you know, Christopher Trimmel, you know, he's, he's one player that really caught my attention, you know. Uh, a set-piece taker. He's, in fact, uh, created seven uh, goals from set-pieces, even more than uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold um, for uh, Liverpool. And uh, he's one player who definitely uh, looked to uh, uh, set uh, uh, Union Berlin on their way. And uh, given the fact that uh, Union Berlin have not lost at the Olympia Stadion, you know, gives them a slight uh, mental advantage uh, coming into this match. But I also like to see uh, Christoph Piatek for Hertha Berlin. Yeah. You know, he was one of the most uh, sought-after yeah, exactly. uh, strikers uh, not too long ago. Um, in fact, he uh, outscored uh, Cristiano Ronaldo during the 2018-2019 uh, season. And coming into uh, this match, you know, coming into the Bundesliga, you know, he's always been uh, compared uh, to a certain... Um, um, what was the Polish striker for uh, Bayern Munich? Um, Lewandowski. Lewandowski, yes. You know, uh, similar in style of play, but uh, Piatek is uh, still finding his way in the Bundesliga and, you know, no better way to stamp your mark than in a derby match. So, really looking forward to this match and we just hope that there will be goals because in the last match, for both sides, they didn't really uh, get uh, many goals. So, we really hope that uh, this derby will be uh, producing some goals. Well, we, we saw we saw Hertha win and ignore the social distancing rules last weekend. I think there was even a kiss on the goal scorer, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, uh, Union Berlin uh, lost against um, Bayern Munich. They, they weren't thoroughly embarrassed. Now, Union are in the Bundesliga for the first time in their history. They're currently 12th. I really like this team, Bob. Do you, do, do you reckon this is the kind of team you might actually write a book about? Oh, steady on, Ross. Steady on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Available for Christmas, <laughs> I should imagine. Uh, Christmas market, eh? No, I don't think so, somehow. Uh, Liverpool book is still available, by the way. Um, but uh, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, uh, it's the sort of uh, storybook kind of uh, yeah. team, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's an East, East German team. Any East German team, actually, you, I find myself automatically leaning towards them um, because they're the underdogs, aren't they, basically? Yeah. Um, in most cases, almost every case. Um, and we know what they, what they went through and all that. And then for them to come up and match the likes of Bayern Munich uh, with all the wealth that they've got is quite an achievement. So yes, um, spiritually you would you would go with Union Berlin. Um, I remember the there was a Berlin. I'm trying to remember the exact name, but it was definitely Berlin. They played Forest in the European Cup, and uh, it wasn't Hertha Berlin. Um, and they they beat us on our own ground in the semi final, and we thought we'd had it, and we actually went to Berlin and and turned it over there. Um, so that was uh, that was a Berlin always rings um, uh, always resonates with me in football. Um, no, I mean this is an interesting league, yep. uh, the uh, German league for a change. Bayern Munich not running away with it, only four points ahead of 
of Dortmund. Um, but what gets me is the football. Is this sustainable? I mean, I feel that we're fortunate to be towards the end of the season because I don't think we could watch an entire season behind closed doors, frankly. I, 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 mean, I don't even I, know, I really, Bob. I, I don't even know if next season's going to start with fans and when that's ever going to come back, you know? Well, uh, hopefully... But, yeah, let's leave that for another show. All right. Let, let's just concentrate on, on Germany for now. Um, the Union... Uh, sorry, the Hertha Union derby uh, kicks off at half past two early tomorrow morning. It's perfect for when you return from your Netflix binging. What did you think I was going to say? From your front room. Yes. <laughs> All eyes on the top two this weekend, uh, Craig Wilkie. Um, Four-point lead, as Bob alluded to. Bayern are at home against Eintracht Frankfurt. Dortmund are away at Wolfsburg. I, I guess Borussia Dortmund is, is most people's other favourite club. They're very good to watch. We saw them with a thumping 4-0 win uh, last weekend when, when the Bundesliga came back. And they've got exciting players, right? They do. They have one of the most exciting players in, in world football right now. That young talent, Haaland, is really something, isn't he? He's, he's got just about everything. For in one so young, the maturity in his game is really quite astonishing. I just think the, the intelligence of the runs that he makes, the positions that he takes up, He's got a good touch. He's big and strong. He's quick. He seems to have quite a natural finishing instinct as well. So what a handful he is for defenders to play against. And you're right. Dortmund looked very, very good coming back. In fact, it forced me to change my mind a little bit. And one thing that I, I said last week, because last week I said, maybe it's not a bad time to play the, the big boys. You know, if you're coming up against Bayern, you're coming up against Dortmund, you don't know what sort of form they'll be in. You don't know how that'll go. But actually, watching those games behind closed doors just made me think that the more the extent to which it becomes like a training game, the more it favours the big teams. Because yeah. actually, it just, it just becomes a kind of technical ability thing. And, it, and there's the sort of intervening factors like the crowd and you know, all of that stuff that might just tip things a little bit back in favour of the underdogs is taken away from them. So when it just becomes that pure... you know. 22 men on a pitch with nothing much else to distract you, then I, I think, especially as we get further into it, we will see the, the big teams have a bit of an advantage from that. Keish brought up an interesting fact on, on Monday's show. He said, uh, we were talking about the Dortmund game, and he said Eulen Brandt really stood out in the game. And he doesn't normally, in a league season, there are some players who will thrive in a behind-closed-doors atmosphere. I, there won't be very many, but there, there are probably a handful. And you, you, you'll see different... It's all different. I mean, I'm for one with no piped-in fan sounds and, and music. Uh, you know what I mean? I'd rather hear the coaches shout and all that. Let's wrap up our German segment then with this little gem. Apparently, guys, Bayern Munich have reserved the number 10 shirt at their club because they are so confident Leroy Sané will be joining from Manchester City in the summer. This has been a transfer in the making uh, quite a while now, Bob. It's going to happen, right? Well, it, uh, it looks like it, but I can't understand why City want to let him go. Because uh, that season, when they won almost everything, I thought he was one of their most outstanding players. He'd be one of the first names I would put down on the team sheet. 
and especially with uh, Mendy uh, disappointing and always being injured. And, you know, he was supposed to come through from the back on the left wing and all that. I mean, I know that Sterling has gone there, even though he's right-footed. I mean, that's the way they do it these days. They cut inside. But that threat of Sané coming from the left and with his scoring ability... Remember the free kick he scored yeah. uh, in uh, the Champions League? I'm totally with you, Bob. He's a yeah, top player. I mean, he's a fantastic player. Why Pep doesn't want to hang on to him, I cannot understand. I think if whatever they pay for him, Bayern Munich will get a bargain. This is the classic example of player power. When the player's heart's not in it, he obviously wants the move. He, there, there's been so much talk about it. And he must be salivating at the fact of wearing number 10 next season for Bayern Munich. Right, but we're going to leave number it there. 10, is he? He, I reckon so. He'll be a great hit. He'll be a great hit. And knowing City, they'll just go and find another Argentine wing wizard or something, you know? <laughs> that's going to cost $100 million. Or, yeah, Anyway... That's our German rap uh, this weekend. Then you've got Hertha against Union. Half past two this or early tomorrow morning. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach against Bayer Leverkusen. Wolfsburg against Dortmund. Freiburg against Werder Bremen. Paderborn against Hoffenheim. On Sunday, it is Bayern against Eintracht Frankfurt. Schalke against Augsburg. Mainz against Leipzig. And Köln against Fortuna Dusseldorf. Uh, final break. When we come back, we'll talk about the K-League. Stay tuned. Fine save by the goalkeeper, spreading himself. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Did he cut up with the title without an outstanding goalkeeper? And he's been absolutely brilliant. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Bob Holmes, Craig Wilkie, Nicholas Arnil and myself in our respective homes adhering to social distancing still with we, we, yeah i do you know what i so would love going back into the radio studio again when you guys when you guys absolutely you absolutely oh yeah. uh, what about the k-league then they were the first football available um lots of eyes on the k-league at the moment uh nick i know you watch a bit of k-league action um this, well, Ulsan and Jongbuk have both 100% records, two wins out of two. Um, what about the atmosphere there? What about the standard of football we're watching? Is this the future of Asian football? I think the Korean League have always had a very high standard um, of uh, Asian football, you know. To me, they are only behind um, uh, the Japanese or the J League, you know. Um, They've always done well on the uh, continental stage as well. And that's a reflection of the strength uh, of, of the league as well. And um, we can see that, you know, both this Gyeongbok and Olsan Hyundai have picked up pretty much uh, from where they left off uh, last season, convincing wins in uh, their last uh, two matches, or rather their first two matches of the league. Um, and I expect uh, it to pretty much be a two or three uh, horse race uh, because uh, these teams have uh, really uh, been there uh, you look at Gyeongbok, who have won seven titles in the last 10 seasons, you know, that is consistency. And, um, you know, they're filled with experienced players. So they do know how to navigate themselves um, season in, season out. Uh, for me, uh, it will be the likes of uh, Busan, you know, who are coming into uh, the season uh, using a lot of inexperienced players. Uh, if they have the sustainability issue uh, to really, you know, last the pace, 
but um, the K League has done well so far. They've attracted attention as well, albeit unwanted attention, uh, with sex dolls uh, being used as a uh, uh, supporters, makeup supporters. Uh, I think that has also sort of added a bit to the luster of of the league, uh, and it you know sorts of gives uh, the league a little bit more attention, and uh, hopefully more people will will start uh, tuning in and, and catch the Korean league until uh, our respective uh, domestic leagues kick in. Yeah, unfortunately, FC Seoul were playing away this weekend. Their game took place earlier this evening. We won't spoil it for you, but Craig Wilkie, we will tell them, the guys, that uh, FC Seoul didn't bring their fans with them to the game this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can make of that what we will, I suppose. Um, <laughs> the top you know, two but... <laughs> are, are both expected to win this weekend. Uh, Jongbuk Hyundai Motors are away at Busan. Busan played two, lost two. They are 11th of, a of the 12-team league. Suwon Blue Wings are the surprise. They're in Johor Darul Taksim's Asian Champions League group. Um, they lost their first two games. They are hosting top of the table, Ulsan. Um, have, you, have you watched any K-League? Do, do you yeah, reckon the quality? I have watched a bit of K-League. And there's definitely quality in the league, as Nick said. There's, there's no question about that. I, it's maybe been a little bit difficult to assess just in those first few weeks of players coming back and the whole behind-closed-doors things and how everybody's responding to that. To, to really look at it and analyze and, and try and assess, you know, if you're, if you're trying to compare it with other leagues. But there, there's certainly a lot of talent in Korea. When I, when I look at it, maybe the league lacks a little bit of that glamour name. You know, you've got Iniesta in Japan. That might give it an extra yeah. touch of, you know, real excitement and interest around the world. And I, another thing that I think is really unfortunate, actually, is that as we have the eyes of the world a little bit more on an Asian league, which is a great thing, it's such a great shame that they don't get to see the passion of fans out here in this part of the world, which if under normal circumstances, you know, I think if people were exposed to the ultras and the, the color and the spectacle and the, the noise and the passion, everything that, that exists around following the game across Asia, that would be a really wonderful thing for, for people to see. Unfortunately, of course, we, we don't have all of that taking place right now. So the, the focus is very much, well, apart from the, <laughs> apart from whoever is in the stands, the focus is very much on, on the pitch. Um, yeah. But I think we've seen a couple of decent games so far, and, uh, and it, it can only improve really as the as the league goes on in the next few weeks as, as players get back up to fitness and and get used to this new situation. Well, if if you if you watch the K League uh, or if you haven't, do watch it this weekend. What they do have that severely differs from the Bundesliga is they have piped in crowd noises. Now it's actually well thought out here, Bob. Kish pointed this out to me uh, on Monday's show. He said, when teams are taking corners, the songs that are normally sung during that time when, when like, the team is attacking, they're actually piped through at that time. So it, it's, it's all right. You, you can watch it, but 70% of you know that it's fake, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they 80, gave it a 90%. go, didn't they? They gave it a go. I mean, fair play to them. You know, they try, they've got to try these things. It's innovative, I think, right? If anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, were, they were aware. I mean, they didn't do it until the second half of that uh, opening game. They were aware that there was something lacking, seriously lacking. So they give it a try. And it's got mixed reviews. Some people like it. Yes, I didn't. But, you know, I'm a dinosaur. So don't go on that. 
it's going to be awfully difficult to choreograph this uh, according to how the play flows. I mean, what, what do you do on rebounds? What do you do on a goal mouth scramble? What kind of music are you going to play then? You know, I mean, it's an impossible task, let's face it. And all right, give it a go. But I don't think it's going to work. And I said earlier, you know, with the Bundesliga, we're fortunate that uh, it's coming to the end of the season. The Korean League is starting the season. And I just hope that we can get some fans in there before the season ends. Because to go an entire season without fans, that is a big ask. And I, I really doubt whether that is sustainable. That's a good point, actually. An entire season without fans, and, and we know they're passionate. They do pack out the stadiums. And, and how much do clubs re- rely on gate receipts and all that? Um, let's wrap up, then, uh, tonight's show with the news that the English Football League has said promotion and relegation will remain, even if the seasons are curtailed. So the latest news just come out. Clubs will still be promoted or relegated from the three divisions of the English Football League if the seasons are ended amid the coronavirus crisis. Playoffs will be played, but with no more than four teams. The EFL confirmed that 51% of the clubs, either in the Championship League 1 or League 2, need to agree for the campaign to be curtailed. This could pave the way for League 1 to have their season cancelled. Currently, it is pretty much split 50-50 or over how the, they want the season to I mean I read somewhere that it will cost the smaller clubs a lot more to actually put on a, a game than it would for them to to call it off is that right Craig Wilkie did you read that uh, I, I don't know about the figures but before they uh, before they void anything I suggest they have a little look north of the border to see the chaos <laughs> to see the chaos that's ensued in Scotland. That's a good point. With uh, the decision just last week that now all the leagues in Scotland have been voided. And what we've seen in the aftermath of that, which has now been rumbling on for a few weeks, is an incredible amount of infighting among the clubs. We've seen calls for investigations as to how the leagues are being governed. We've seen the start of legal challenges, and there's going to be more of those from clubs who've been, frankly, unfairly affected. Because how can you relegate anybody now with with nine or 10 rounds of fixtures left to play. And especially in the Scottish context, because they have this split, right? Whereby for the last few games of the season, the bottom clubs play against each other. The last five or six games is all against the teams around them. So every game becomes a six-pointer. So you can easily claw your way out of trouble. You can put a run together and get out of the situation that you're in. So I would just caution the the lower leagues in England to to really have a think about what the long-term implications are of taking a decision like that before, before they do it lightly. I wonder if France are actually regretting cancelling league um, so early as well. That's a great point you make. Right, that's it. We're pretty much out of time. Uh, Monday, we'll tell you about all the football that went on over the weekend. For now, let me say thanks to the guys. Thank you, Craig Wilkie. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Nicholas Anil. Have a great weekend, everyone. Yeah, and thank you, Bob Holmes. Thank you, and stay safe. Indeed. Stay safe. Keep staying home. Keep sanitizing. Keep doing all the stuff. Keep watching football. Keep listening to us. Speak to you Monday. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.